Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 113 of The Morning After. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Jesse Kiefer. And I'm that other host, Sarah Kamen. Sarah Kamen, back from a long trip in Europe. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Super happy to have you back in studio. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to talk with Sarah about all of her traveling and eating what's that hashtag eating hashtag fat foodie fantastic journey the european edition she was in france she (laughs) was in spain she was in berlin ugh i'm jealous yeah but now i'm back (laughs) (laughs) come on now i'm jealous of the fact that i was there but i'm so happy to be back it's so good to see your faces and all of your faces radio listeners which i imagine are all gorgeous and smiling and happy to hear us (laughs) you all have that summer glow you're so tan. <laughs> I I actually once put together a um like oh I'm so embarrassed to say this um a Facebook album um of a trip to Vieques, which is an island off the coast of Puerto Rico, and I called it "Does My Voice Sound Tanner?" Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I'm planning to go to the beach next Saturday, so we'll see next Sunday if my voice does sound tanner. Okay. Do you think tanner means lower? Nope. Does I think it means browner. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well I think I'm Tanner. Um, but also on today's show, we actually have a guest who's we not do. just my co-host. Um, yeah. We're going to talk to Katrina Moore. She's the director of the In Progress documentary Under the Mango Tree. It's the story of a Ghanaian do- doctor um, who's caring for his community through mental health care and food against mm-hmm. all odds. Connecting a the dots. A really, really amazing story. So we're going to hear from Katrina about how she got involved and how we can help support the film. But first, uh, Aaron and I, Aaron, my uh, esteemed co-host who uh, who was on the show last episode. Thank you for filling in, Aaron. Oh, it, it was my pleasure, really. I'll never be let on again. But <laughs> it was fun while it Well, you're here day. now, so yes. enjoy it. Aaron is, uh, always has something to say. That's... <laughs> What's what I will say? What? Excuse me. So what? you guys both had this meal together, and you've had slightly different reactions to it. Uh, both documented in different ways. Jesse, I hear you. You've written a poem. Yeah, I mean, Aaron and I get to dine often together, but we don't really um, write our thoughts down about it. You should do together. that more. Um, I think so. Yes, I've I've written a poem. Um, I am not a poet. No. So bear with me. Um, the name of the restaurant will not be revealed until the second edition of, um, of our documentation when dun, Aaron dun, speaks on it. But I will begin. Syrup-scented, sticky fingers pour my coffee. The carpeted dining floor keeps the sound of high children at a hum. Corporate chain Americanness in bright red, white, blue, and whipped cream. Why don't I feel like a patriot? Celebrate the good things. Eggs, sausage, pancakes, calorie counts. Bottomless bellies only add to my anxiety attack. 
Tight hairnets pull back a smile. Why am I the judge? It's not my business. This is family business. Neighborhood business. Big business. Never the optimist. I hope it goes out of business. What place is she talking about? All right. My experience here. (laughs) In narrative form. In narrative lyrical form. Just kidding. Uh, I had been... Excuse me. Start again. Take two. I had been eyeing it for months. Large window panes, voluptuous booths, high ceilings, spacious floor plan, generous pots of piping hot coffee gently set on each and every table. Balthasar, you ask? Lafayette? Move over, eater. This was the IHOP on Flushing Avenue. Only ten steps from our front door, it beckoned me daily with tempting kisses blown from syrup assortments and dollops of whipped cream. I wanted to shed the skin of foodie culture constraints and melt into one of those window front booths set three steps below street level where your face is actually even with the sidewalk of flesh of Flushing Avenue. A metaphorical reminder of the level of dining that you are about to experience. Unsurprisingly, Jesse was nonplussed by my increasingly insistent demands to visit our downstairs neighbor. It just wasn't our usual jam. But as slow and steady wins the race, she eventually acquiesced to my demands on a drunken walk home late at night at 3 a.m. Don't judge me for this. I didn't take advantage of her impaired state. She brought it up. And when we woke up at half past noon the next day, I rolled over and looked into her eyes and smiled and said, You said we could go to IHOP today. Her expression didn't change and she didn't say a word. But 30 minutes later, we opened those glass doors and walked down the handicap ramp to request a booth for two. When we opened the plastic laminated menus and saw the calorie counts, I'm not going to lie, we were a little freaked out. But we swallowed our fear and housed our eggs, hash browns, bacon, sausage, banana strawberry pancake (laughs) mega plates, and washed them down with that ever-present thermos of coffee. As I paid the check, of course, it was my treat. Uh, I leaned back into the booth and gazed around the room. You know, this is a place where the experience is always what you expect it to be. Uh, This is a place where kids can order any damn thing they please. This is a place of carpet sweepers and handrails. This is a place where servers carry six plates at a time and wear hairnets without shame. This is a place that hosts Sunday brunch with your grandparents or a Monday morning late breakfast when you and your mom decided to play hooky from school and work. This is a place that feels like home. Aaron's love letter to the IHOP. Very sweet. (laughs) It took me months to convince her to go. Months. I'm never going back. And it it sounds like it was everything. It was everything I hoped it to be. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered this stack of strawberry banana pancakes, and it came with a fucking, like, pile of whipped cream that was as high as the pancakes themselves. It was insane. Maybe not your jam, but definitely your jelly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But do you know the difference between jam and jelly? Well, jam is something that ladies make. I guess so. (laughs) And sell at farmer's markets (laughs) with a lot of love, and jelly is something like a processed food. You also can't 
jelly of something into your something. Oh, <laughs> you guys. Um, I mean, I, I, I used to get stoned and go to the IHOP when I was in college, and it seemed glorious. But going this time, it just felt it felt artificial and. I don't think I've really learned that much more about food. I mean, I guess I have learned a lot more about food since college. Maybe it was the lighting. <laughs> you know, actually, I think some Edison bulbs and a dimmer would really <laughs> oh, fans up I, that place. It was in Brooklyn. An IHOP would would fly. It was in for Brooklyn. sure. No, yeah, seriously, a little Brooklyn yeah. Brooklynification. Is that a Brooklynify? Absolutely. Brooklynify that IHOP. Seriously, put like um, you know some subway tile, um, mm-hmm. maybe a couple bistro chairs. You guys. Brooklyn Some natural wine on the list, and it would is, be is real, and I saw it all over. Europe, oh, it's all too. over Paris. Yes. There's so many yes. Brooklyn restaurants. In I know Brooklyn style restaurants called in Paris. like Brooklyn food, right? I mean, and yeah, well, Brooklyn food. Yeah. Well, we we definitely learned when we were in Paris that you don't tell them that you're from the U.S. You say you're from Bushwick, and yeah. they were like Bushwick. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I'm from Brooklyn. They're like, oh, are you from Williamsburg? <laughs> I love that you were speaking to Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Paris, I spoke like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> my darling. <laughs> well, my darling, let's take a break here. Let's. Okay. Uh, we're going to come back with Katrina Moore, the director of the documentary Under the Mango Tree. You are listening to Samba by Superbore Band. Hi, I'm Jesse Kiefer, host of The Morning After. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning Cinco. That's five for you non-Spanish speakers. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food, culture, and content like nobody else. And we need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, non-profit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thanks so much for your support. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, John Norris. Chuck Norris. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we're back. We're listening to The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And I believe that I have my good friend Katrina Moore on the line. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, my gosh. You sound fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Katrina. <laughs> Hi. Hi. So, so you're, on, you're on a beach. Is that right? You're near a beach? You're swimming in a beach? Uh, yeah, I'm um, on vacation at the beach in North Carolina right now. Well, that sounds cool. Is it Hilton Head? Uh, no, I'm on Atlantic Beach. It's like a it's a much smaller kind of residential beach near the Outer Banks. Oh, I've been to the Outer Banks. Um, great. <laughs> Check out the seafood buffet. <laughs> yeah, seriously, have fun. Yeah. Um, but before you go do that, 
you're here on the line with us at heritageradionetwork.org to talk about uh, a film that you are in the process of finishing called Under the Mango Tree. Uh, as far as I know, it is a film that you made after going to Ghana. First, you went with uh, the school that you were involved with, NYU, Food Studies Program. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you came across this medical clinic where you saw that they were feeding the homeless population and uh, other mentally ill patients as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um, so I was originally in Ghana with NYU. Um, I graduated from the Steinhardt Food Studies Program. So I was there taking a class on hunger and food security and a global perspective. And part of this class was that we were touring around the country, um, looking at supply chains, uh, you know, food commodities like tomatoes and rice, corn, um, and seeing where those places along the supply chains uh, we could but essentially, the idea is to get more money for the for the farmer, make it more equitable across the supply chain. And as a result of, of going around to all of these different programs, we were going to NGOs and school feeding programs. And we also went to um, this clinic that is now the subject of my film, Under the Mango Tree. And I found that it was so... Um, it was so inspiring and so special and empowering and important that it was the one thing out of all of the places we visited over the course of three weeks, that was the one thing I came back talking about to everybody. I just wanted to tell their story over and over and over again. So I ended up um, making a documentary about them for my final project at NYU. So you ended up going back to Ghana because was it in your last day on the NYU trip that you actually discovered this clinic? I think it it was one of the last days. Yeah. So you didn't go there like having an intention of actually making a documentary film or even knowing of this clinic. And I know that you were really interested in chocolate production uh, when you first went, but you decided to go back on your own dime, on your own volition, or I know you you had a Kickstarter campaign to help support you to Mm -hmm. do that. Um, But you were just so profoundly moved by this clinic and this doctor that you met. And that's what inspired you to make this film. So tell us a little bit like where you are now. You did the initial Kickstarter campaign. You made this amazing trailer um, for your film. So what bring us up to speed. Right. So I um, I was studying cocoa supply chains, which is why I was in uh, why I wanted to be in Ghana. Um, and I was looking at the chocolate industry and um, and getting more money for farmers um, in the global south. And I completely redirected my course of uh, my educational um, uh, thesis because uh, because I, I went to this clinic and was so inspired by them. So I came back and I thought about, um, you know, I was thinking of ways to get this story out. I mean, the doctor's story is incredible. The doctor who runs the clinic uh, lost all 10 siblings and both parents to poverty-related diseases before he turned 10 years old. And he actually managed to put himself through high school and then make it all the way through medical school. He became a doctor. He quit his job in public health just to start this clinic in his hometown uh, where he doesn't um, take any um, salary or anything for himself. He just it completely does it out of kindness just to give back to his community. How does he live, so Katrina? Um, he, he, his wife, and his children, um, uh, they take the food from the food program, actually. So that's how they are um, surviving. And they also are... Um, the, the way that the clinic runs is on spontaneous donations. 
they don't ask for funding. They just, uh, people like me who are traveling through NYU or um, through NDO or whoever, um, go to this clinic and are inspired to give because of, of the absolute eloquence of this doctor and his um he is a very humble uh very eloquent very genuine person and it's, it's hard not to want to give everything you possibly can to him when you need him um they don't ask for funding so that's that's typically how they survive um is they they use what funding they they need um and leave the rest for the clinic so um, katrina walk us through yes. the, the food program so the the food program is is feeding mentally ill people uh, who are living on the streets of Uganda or Ghana. <laughs> Ghana, yes, um, yes. So in Ghana, um, mental illness is considered to be caused by witchcraft or by demons or evil spirits. Um, there's a lot of superstition around it, and as a result, a lot of people who suffer from mental illness. Um, are kicked out of their homes at young ages and are left on the streets. There aren't a lot of services for this group of people. There are 12 psychiatrists, I think, in all of Ghana, and most of them are down in the southern part, and they're in the sort of northern area that doesn't have as many services. And um, what ends up happening a lot of the time to this group of people is they end up going to these things called prayer camps, which is a... um, spiritual religious institution where um, they try to sort of beat the evil spirits out of them by uh, in the Human Rights Watch put a report out not, not too long ago, a couple of years ago that reported that, that they were chained to trees and not given food or water for days on end. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, mistreatment and uh, misunderstanding of what mental illness is. But for the clinic 20 years ago to intentionally start to feed this group of people. It was a really big deal. Um, the doctor saw that the, the, the eventually the homeless tended to um, behave very wildly in the streets. They would um, steal food from the woman in the market. They would harass the woman in the market. They'd be very violent. There was a lot of public disturbance. And for the doctor to see that as and name it as hunger because he knew hunger because he grew up hungry on the streets of Tamale himself, and to say, okay, well, what we need to do is, is actually carry food to these people in the streets um, is quite a novel idea in this part of the world. And once they started to do this, they found that um, after this group of people would eat, um, they would then just sleep for the afternoon, and they wouldn't bother anybody. And it actually has created peace in the community between um, the women in the market and uh, and this population. What are the what are the meals like? What is the the type of meal that, mm-hmm. that each um, person is given? The meals are um, nutritionally balanced Ghanaian traditional food. Um, mostly, like the northern region has um, kind of a different food way or like way of um, or you know different ingredients, slightly different ingredients than the southern region. It's very the food that they they offer is very specific to Tamale, the Tamale area. Um, and you'll find things like uh, fufu, which is this sort of pounded plantain and cassava, slimy, sticky ball of starch. And you pour um, groundnut soup on top of that, which is uh, groundnuts are the Ghanaian word for a peanut. But they essentially make a peanut butter and, and mix it with scotch bonnet peppers and tomatoes and puree it into a soup with water. 
um, and then some meat in there as well. So that, that's one example of a, a dish that you'll find. But it's different every day. Has um, has Dr. Abdullah had any kind of um, kind of backlash? Because I imagine with a, a bad economy and and totally sane people starving, um, do they you know find it hard to get to get sympathy within Ghana? Uh, that's a good question. Um, sometimes I think it depends on who you're talking to. Um, the community, of course, the recipients of this program are very happy to have it. The community is very happy to have it. Um, the government absolutely is happy that he's there, but he's sort of um, a different type of program. Um, he's not an NGO. He's not, you know, registered as anything. He's just, you know, he's he's just there. Um, and I think that that people have tried to get him to do things differently. Um, he he doesn't accept funding from certain sources um, if he thinks that they're going to make demands on how he runs his clinic. Uh, he's very protective of his patients um, and is very careful about um, where his pushback, but I think for the most part, people are very excited that he's there and, and doing the work that he's doing. So how can how can listeners and how can we donate to your to your project to uh, to fund what you're continuing to do to to edit the the, the final film. Yeah, so I'm in post-production right now. Uh, I went back last summer to uh, for three weeks to film. Me and a director of photography um, shot the film last year, and now we are trying to get funding to finish it. I need to hire an editor, sound designer, composer, pay for all the software, all that good stuff. Um, so we're trying to raise $10,000 on Indiegogo, and we are almost halfway there with 16 days left. Um, so get your funding in soon. Um, and you can go to Indiegogo.com and type in Under the Mango Tree. It's probably the easiest way to get to us. And you can see the trailer there as well. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I am at Mango Tree Film on Twitter. That's great. And then we're going to also post the information on our Facebook page so uh, people can listen to this interview and then know exactly how to go and contribute to your project. Great. Thanks so much. And Katrina, one last question. I, I want to know what is the where did the title come from? Oh, that's a great question. The title under the mango tree comes from um, the doctor's first surgery at the clinic location. So when the doctor moved from Accra, the main city in Ghana, to Tamale to start this clinic, the first surgery here performed before there were any buildings was under this huge mango tree that now... Uh, provides food and shade and beauty to the clinic grounds. So the tree is still there uh, with all these buildings surrounding it. And so to me, the meaning of the name Under the Mango Tree is about um, about this natural way of feeding people and um, and sort of the, you know, everything that's happening there and under the shade of this mango tree is very powerful. That's beautiful, Katrina. Thank you so much. I'm definitely a supporter. I think your trailer is absolutely beautiful. I'm blown away by what you've done. And uh, just really excited to help you get the word out. Yeah, and best of luck, Katrina. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye. We're going to take a break here on The Morning After. We're going to come back with Sari's stories about Europe. You are listening to Long Live Music by Wood, Brass, and Steel Band. 
we're back here on the morning after Paris, Berlin, oh. Granada. I don't know. I don't I know where you went in Spain. <laughs> Bilbao. Bilbao. I wanted to complete the song and be like, boring. <laughs> but it wasn't. It totally wasn't. Right? No, totally not. No. So Aaron and I are going to interview Sari at this moment about her Yay. trip to Europe. Um, hashtag again. Hashtag fat foodie <laughs> fantastic journey the european edition which means there's gonna be an asian edition um follow us know, on twitter a north american edition a central american edition a south american edition antarctica edition antarctica edition yeah, i'm gonna go just hard. sarina penguin yeah you'll eat an <laughs> what ice. am i gonna eat <laughs> just ice mm, these icicles are delicious <laughs> fish fish again <laughs> So, Sushi. so Sarah, your first stop was was in Paris, and I guess kind of the overall overarching question I want to know is, you know, what was the the number thing number one thing about food culture that you noticed in in kind of each country? Yeah, I mean, definitely how integrated food and drink is there. Like, no matter what you eat, it's really important what you drink, and that's kind of important to Americans, but. It's just such a part of, like, the overall dining experience. Like, it's not a thoughtless thing. And it's not like, oh, I'll just have, like, a red ball vodka. It's, like, it's really, really important. And, um, you know, one of the things that's so different is there's no open container laws there. So the actual dining experience can extend beyond the restaurant, which was, like, sort of a mind-blowing thing for me to see. I went to this really cool restaurant in Paris called uh, La Bouvette. And when I got is that there, related to Bouvet in the West Village? It's or not. It, I okay. thought it was the entire time. There's another Bouvet I know, in and Paris. There's another Bouvet, and I totally thought to that West. that's where I was the entire I, no, time. I mean, I, I would imagine it's like by example. You know, I, I would imagine that she kind of took yeah, I that think idea. Yeah, I was there first. That, but it was that, really weird when I got there. There was like 13 people hanging out right outside the restaurant, like drinking and drinking like a whole bottle of wine and stuff like right outside just on the sidewalk and I was like oh that's weird like why couldn't they find a better spot to do that and then I went to the restaurant and realized like they were part of people eating at the restaurant and they were just going in getting their drinks and then like going back outside and drinking and I was like oh that's brilliant because there's really only four tables so I was like how do they make any money but what actually was the reality is because they only had a couple tables. There was one table that had about five people sitting in, but that group of 13 was part of that table. So when people got hungry who were outside drinking, they just kind of come in and like tag or tap one of their friends and like switch it out. And they'd sit down and like eat a little bit and then go back outside and like keep drinking. And it was this like awesome thing that was going on all night long. And it was really fun. It's like the WWF. It was like tag team dining. Totally. Less violent. More mackerel. Less body slamming. <laughs> I mean, when you got broken glass, when you got a, you know, you can smash a bottle and stab anybody. I mean, it could get violent whenever you want. That's why there's no open Have container laws in the Have you watched WWF lately? No. <laughs> they do not use broken glass. I'm no, but they do use that. folding chairs. So that's the difference between Europe and America. They don't <laughs> smash bottles on each other. <laughs> um, so I guess what was the, the initial purpose of, because you went on a, a food studies yeah, trip. I went to Paris What's with the initial purpose. Yeah, I went to Paris with my food studies department um, from NYU, and we were kind of looking to see like the way that Parisians really eat. Like we really wanted to understand like the identity and then the performance of Parisians, which is 
um, the way that a lot of us in the food studies group thought about Parisians and the way they eat, which is like, oh, I go to the market fresh every day and buy my baguette and buy my perfect produce and then, you know, eat it every day. And there's nothing preserved. There's no preservative. So there's no shelf life. So they go and buy everything fresh. And it's like there's no processed food and everything is organic and everything is like from the cows down the road. And um, to sort of figure out, like, if that was how Parisians really eat or if that's how they make us think they eat or is that just what we think? I've been to so many roadside like gas stationed convenient <laughs> French convenience stores. I'm going to say right away that is not how they eat. No, I know. And that that's like the myth that got debunked. Yeah. And we went to a bunch of grocery stores. We went to like the huge um, food plant. Like, you know how we have Hunts Point in New York, like where all the food comes through? Like this huge kind like of like the port. Yeah, like the port. Exactly. We went to the the French version of that where like all the food comes through and then from there they sell to all the restaurants. So we got to do this like cool behind the scenes tour and see that like no matter what restaurant it is, they're kind of all buying from the same place, you know, like even the really, really expensive ones. And then like, you know, the bistros are all kind of getting their meat from the same place. Really? Yeah. All the meat from the same place. So yeah, I mean, there's different cuts, like there's different kinds of meat. But it all comes through like the same port, like this huge. Where market. is that meat originating from then? They have different buyers that they buy from. Yeah. And we have the same thing in New York. You know, it's, it's of course. It's, yeah, it's called Hunts Point and it feeds like the entire Eastern seaboard. So, right, right. Yeah, it's really the exact same model. So, what was one of the, the like the debunked myth moments that you had when you were in Paris? Um, I mean, definitely going to like the grocery stores and seeing that they have the same food except that their chip flavors are far superior seriously yeah yeah chips. I, mean, I can speak on that too yeah i, think I had hamburger flavor chips i had and... pesto <sighs> yeah there was there we had oyster uh, flavored, flavored chips. chips yep i am so we mad had, that i didn't see we that had and they, lamb they, kebab lamb oh my flavored God. Chips. i'm yeah. gonna say oyster flavored chips no 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 oh, it was two like, of my favorite things combined it was like like really briny oh that sounds good I've also mm. had a like a garlic mayo flavored chip. Not so good. Uh, I'm a big so fan of like the, the pickle ham- chip. The hamburger, the hamburger was exactly good. because you got the, the like ketchup plus pickle flavor. Yeah, the pesto ones that I had were part of like the even though they were Lay's, they were part of like the Italian bruschetta series. <laughs> <laughs> I love that in Europe Lay's has an Italian bruschetta series. They do. <laughs> So you gotta you gotta keep it clear though. Like yeah. even as we're talking about them eating crap, it's still kind of it's better, better crap. No, it's just better crap. <laughs> These are like haute cuisine yeah. chips. Haute cuisine. Yeah, exactly. it's like the same yeah. shit, but it's like the artisanal variety. What's the beverage pairing with that? It's a chenin blanc. Chenin <laughs> blanc. <laughs> some muscadet. I just yeah. yeah. I just want some like some just beer. Cold. Yeah, and they have frozen great. food. Iced, cold. They have all the same cold. things. They have a store called Picard that only sells frozen food, but it looked like better frozen food. Like it's the, it's like the Trader Joe's brand, but it was like Picard, like their own brand. And it was nothing but frozen food, but it like, I wanted to eat it. But I didn't have a so microwave. there was like no hungry man or like right, yeah. kids TV dinner, like, it you know, good. gooey brownie that like, you know, 
gets totally dried out in the microwave and then it like oozes into the corn. Actually, yeah, that, I was just thinking about that. I this could be ignorance, and I have been to many homes in France, but I've never seen a microwave. Well, so that's do what you think so that these are all yeah. cooked in the oven? Uh, I don't know. Or do you think they're microwavable? I think they're microwavable, and I and I don't know for sure because I don't wasn't, like, think. Yeah, they're above microwaves. No, I don't. I mean, I didn't. I just haven't seen one. That's the thing. Like, I guess the like shock was that there's a store. It's a chain. It's all over that only sells frozen food. So what? Like they have microwaves. They eat frozen food to begin with. So that was really surprising. But at the same time, it was like it still looked like better quality frozen food. So then from Paris, you went to yep. Normandy. Um, oh, yeah. We went to Normandy the end of days. <laughs> in days, not, not in as in like things are ending, but well, the trip was ending. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. We did uh, camembert tasting. We got to see some Calvados production, drank some cider, you know, all that good stuff you do. Talked about D-Day. Yep, we did. We went to the Omaha Beach, yes. the U.S. Museum. Yeah, that was actually really interesting. It's really meaningful. Actually, really interesting. One of the <laughs> most important moments. Well, it wasn't of about World food. War II. It wasn't about it food. So we were like, definitely oh, not about food. <laughs> Like, what did they eat on D-Day? Oh, my God. Nothing. Probably nothing. Nothing. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, the only kind of disappointing thing about Normandy is we were in really touristy areas where, you know, the food was kind of crappy. So then that brings up the best moment of of this interview. Um, I've been dying to ask this question so far. Let's go for it, Liz. We were so lucky to get Sade to uh, to sing that jingle so for convenient. us. So convenient, she was having brunch at Roberta's. So Chardonnay is our mythical restaurant that celebrates all bad food and wine trends. Sari, what was the Chardonnay's of Europe? Yeah, it was Normandy. I mean, probably there's really good places to eat there. But we were only I'm in the sure tourist sections. We went and saw this beautiful like abbey castle palace thing called Mont Saint-Michel and the whole bottom floor of this like gorgeous preserved castle thing is like the Disney World of France it's like nothing but souvenir shops and like except for the actual Disney World that's oh yeah yeah (laughs) so confusing so confusing I'm so confused yeah it's been since the 90s confused (laughs) so it was like all places that sold like typical French food like Crepes and I don't know whatever French people like to eat. Frites, <laughs> frites, uh, yeah, all that. Knows. So we were really hungry, so we ate there, and the food was awful. I got a fish soup, and it had no fish in it. <laughs> it just tasted kind of weird and salty. It was like the chips. <laughs> <laughs> and we decided to get pasta, which was probably a bad idea in the first place. But um, yeah, it had no seasoning. It was it was horrible. Yeah, and the crepes were really sad. Oh, the crepe. I was yeah. just going to say, like, when in doubt, get a crepe. Yeah, yeah. They were really sad. Uh, yeah. They were crap. They were crap crepes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. from France, you, you went to Germany. I did. I went to Berlin for a week, uh, which is like a totally different kind of thing. Mostly because my ear rejects all German, so I couldn't speak any of their language. Um, and I was like kind of concerned because I don't eat meat. And I thought it was going to be like a sausage fest. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Do you know what the difference is between jelly and jam? Stop. <laughs> Stop. Um, yeah, but it actually was like a vegan paradise, which was kind of shocking because I didn't know that Germans like loved their tofu that much. I ate vegan currywurst. Yep. I did. I know. Jesse's making, making a I'm really making yucky a, face. Silent, silent but, you know, the thing about currywurst, currywurst is it's just sausages covered in ketchup with curry powder. 
So you can probably cover anything in ketchup with curry powder and it'll taste the same. That was my takeaway from that. I mean, at the end of the day, a sausage is just like a whole bunch of things blended together. Yeah. So, and so is a curry. Like, yeah. Why exactly. does it actually have to be meat? It's it true. And curry verse is just a vehicle for ketchup. Yeah. And curry <laughs> is not like a set thing. It's yeah. A combination just, of a variety. It's, of just, it's super spices. popular, like this particular cuisine or item. It's just sausage covered in ketchup and like doused in a ton of curry powder and it's it's everywhere it's so popular did you eat any white asparagus yeah i I know that's like a big thing in germany i guess it's probably more like springtime yeah but yeah it was good it kind of tastes pickled i mean maybe it was pickled i don't know it's good i like the real stuff better I mean, I can't speak on that because well, I wasn't. Yeah, I mostly just ate you. South Asian food because it's everywhere. It's really weird. It's like you're it, it's Berlin, but like all the restaurants. Well, not all of them, but the majority, it felt like were Thai or Vietnamese or from some part of that world. Did it so, feel like that was like the movement that's going on there right now? I think or that's those always been, been there. Yeah, that has to do with like immigration and history and wars, stuff like that. <laughs> so then from Berlin, you went to Spain. I did. Yeah. I started in Bilbao, uh, went to San Sebastian. On the way from Bilbao to San Sebastian, I ate at this amazing restaurant called Eshtabari, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere in Spain, to be specific, and had a four-hour lunch, um, probably the most epic meal of my life. Followed and then by a yeah, four-hour nap. Yeah, exactly. A True. siesta. little siesta. In the car. Yes. <laughs> we had to sleep that off in order to drive without killing other people, including ourselves. Uh, went to San Sebastian and then went to Madrid. Amazing. So, what did you take back from dining in in Spain? They I like know mayonnaise. They, they like mayonnaise. Yeah, okay. it's called aioli. <laughs> I think it's called mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh <laughs> Everything. Well, pinchos are the big thing to eat in Bilbao in Spain, and they're kind of like their Basque version of tapas. They're a little bit smaller, um, and everything's pretty much on bread and doused in mayonnaise. <laughs> Which was a little intense for me because I've like historically had a fear of mayonnaise, so I really had to confront that. I really had to like full on accept it. It was it was kind of awkward at times. How did you handle the like the food sitting out kind of situation? Because I know it's like yeah yeah exactly. You go into like any pinchos bar slash restaurant, and the whole countertops are just filled with food, and they're they're like little sandwiches and you know we would call them crostinis. And um, they're there for the taking, and you just, like, pick what you want and kind of compose your meal that way. But, like, I realized when I first went into one of these places and saw all this food, I was like, oh, those must be, like, the models. Like, this is the representative of the food they're actually going to give me. Like the like the restaurant on Spring Street exactly. in Broadway where they've got like the, the table out yep. with the checkered you know the I thought it was like that yeah I was like oh, okay this is like an idea of the food that they're gonna give me which they have stored like in a fridge somewhere or something where they're gonna make from scratch but no they just pull it right off and put it on your plate and that's what you eat and I was kind of blown away because obviously like we have the Department of Health and you can't let food sit out all day long and unless it's under a sneeze guard in a deli yep no sneeze guards nope. <laughs> Not that. Um, so, you know, there was a moment of, like, slight panic, and I just had to be like, cool, this is how they do it. And it tastes amazing. It's delicious. It's, like, the best food ever. So you kind of just have to accept the cultural difference and hope that you won't die from pinchos because it's been sitting out all day. I almost died because I ate so much of it, but I certainly didn't have any health problems due to <laughs> health. <laughs> so I want to know... We're talking about everything they're doing right, but what are yeah. they doing wrong, Sari? What are they doing wrong in the Europe dining scene? What is wrong? 
There has to be <laughs> something much. wrong because last time I went, I was like, why aren't we like I know. This? Why are we? I don't Cheese know. Cheese is out at temperature. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, they seem to be doing everything right. Like, I think it's hard for Americans to come in and quite like figure it out because we just go there and like eat so much. And that, I guess, like for me, I just felt kind of sick the entire time because I was constantly, constantly eating. And it's just hard, especially. Like, <laughs> like my trip was great. I was actually gravely ill for the entire time. I wasn't gravely ill. It was just like must eat more pinchos. <laughs> I guess just trying to figure out the balance as an American coming into it. I mean, they seem to have it figured out really well. Um, I mean, for me, it was like impossible to eat that much cheese and bread and like feel okay about myself. <laughs> I think they take a lot of smoke breaks. Maybe. Yeah. I hear that moves things through. Yeah. They probably just eat less. I think, like, we just ate everything. So I I think it's more of, like, it's our problem, not theirs. I would have liked to see a little bit more, like, salad or dark greens. Um, But that's just not really a thing there, you know? I miss miss kale. They miss the kale bones. I miss kale. I'm not going to lie. Where's the crudite? Come on. Not cr- in my oh, mouth. Oh, I've always pronounced that crudites. Crudites? Yeah. <laughs> I'll have some crudites, please. Some, I mean, there's vegetables, dressing. but the vegetables are, like, cooked and cooked in butter, and they taste amazing. That, you know, every now and then, I would have I taken some kale. All right, yeah. Get us a salad. Get us a salad. Yeah. Well, you're back in New York. Yep. With plenty of salads. Yeah, I know. It's great. But I'm happy you're back here. It's good to see you across from me. You too. Totally. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for uh, trusting me to be on the mic again. <laughs> <laughs> and shut her mic off. <laughs> I can tell the joke again. Nope. <laughs> um, so please be sure to check out uh, Katrina Moore's uh, film and the trailer of it, Under the Mango Tree, on Indiegogo.com. Just search the name Under the Mango Tree. Also... We here at Heritage Radio Network are a, a nonprofit organization, and uh, we need support from listeners like you. So if you donate by today, your contribution will be doubled. Doubled. That means That's matched. pretty freaking serious. That's yep. matched. Like, you don't have to spend that much because somebody else is going to spend more for you. Ooh, and you can win prizes. You can win prizes. Like, really good prizes. So check out the website, heritageradionetwork.org. Yep. Find the donate button and please donate so Sari and I can keep having fun on Sunday afternoons. You'd miss us. Totally. You would. This has been The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>